There's a lot of news and updates to cover in Independent League Baseball this week, as well as our new recommended rules for 2020 in the Atlantic League. So be sure to join us for this and much more here on the 40th episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. So we're back again, episode number 40. We hit the big 4-0. Oh yeah, the big 4 it's been a wild ride at this point, and oh, yeah. today we're going to go ahead and start doing a little bit more opinion-based stuff or some more creative stuff here, seeing as we're in the dead of the off-season here. Undoubtedly. And as one could guess, that's uh, that makes it a little bit hard to do a, uh, a usual show, as there's nobody playing baseball, as there's not really any major news going on, and when you only have like one or two stories that are worthy of a segment a week it's hard to get you that 45 minutes to an hour that we kind of shoot for per week so we got that fun section the recommended rules of the atlantic league that we have coming up that we'd like to see implemented or at least would be interesting to see in 2020 that will come up towards the end of the show but first we do have some some news discuss some updates and some situations here uh, some of which I think will prove that we are vindicated in our thoughts, <laughs> or at least uh, I'm vindicated in my thoughts in regards to the one topic here, but that comes up a little bit later on. But I think we could kind of uh, jump in to the news. Absolutely. Let's get started. All right. So first thing up here is, as we saw on Monday, Mobile, Alabama may be getting an Atlantic League team. So let's kind of break this down. There is a current debate over the use of Hink. Aaron Stadium is in Mobile, Alabama, former home to the Mobile Bay Bears. As we know, the Bay Bears have left Mobile to go to Madison, Alabama. They are now the Rocket City Trash Pandas, AA affiliate. And the current ownership group wants to put uh, various different sports and concerts and light shows, some like Halloween light shows, the Fright Lights, I think they call them. Ooh, uh, Fright Lights. Yep, uh, your typical Christmas light show, that kind of a thing. Uh, they want to get that going in that facility. Meanwhile, there is another group that wants to take over this. Uh, they will need a new lease. However, it is led by Tim Bennett. He is one of the owners of the Biloxi AA affiliates. It's in the Southern League. So he is fairly familiar with the area, Alabama, Mississippi. It's generally the same if I do, if I am correct on that. Sure. Yeah. And he's going to lead this group. It will also include Ozzie Smith. It will include Hank Aaron. So a couple of Major League Hall of Famers. Look at that. You know, one of the best fielders of all time and then the rightful home run king. Oh, the rightful home run king, no doubt. This team would ideally start play in 2021 or 2022, supposedly come in the summer of 2021. This would all get put together. Maybe my assumption 2022 season would be how this would start. What would happen is they would get a new lease. Uh, that would hand over 20% of the outfield wall revenue, I believe it would be, to the city of uh, Mobile, as well as a $2 surcharge on all the tickets. They would get full use of the stadium. They would work this all out and whatnot. And, and yeah, so that's where it's looking at. They specifically said Atlantic League. However, i uh, talking to some people that know more in depth of the Atlantic League than I and others that are connected to the Atlantic League, no one's really been talking about going to Mobile. So I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see Mobile as a Atlantic League destination, unfortunately, for this group. Uh, I really like the idea of having Hank Aaron involved in something like this. I think it's a really good thing uh, to have these Hall of Famers involved. But the problem is you have a league that holds itself to an extremely high standard, and mm-hmm. you also have a league that's already currently expanding yeah and how many projects do they want to take on at one time is really the question that would put them this team would put them out of balance uh if they were to do this obviously they would have to expand elsewhere yeah, as that's a result very good point to make there as we'll see a little bit later on that issue may be solved as far as even up teams goes right however i do agree i think it's a bit odd i mean i tweeted something out if i can just find that really quickly on this when it first came out and I said, this meets every check mark of the Atlantic League when they're looking to expand. And it just, the problem I have with it is it seems like it's very odd. I believe they had poor attendance last year, roughly around 2,000 fans a game. If that's your AA affiliated number, it's going to be hard to survive as an independent team. Granted, the play's probably going to be a little bit better than that. However, you do lose the benefits of the uh, kind of affiliated deal 
as we kind of discussed last week, those benefits that you're going to get. Yeah. Same thing would apply here. <laughs> so I think that's a, a concern they're going to have to watch out for. Absolutely. I think that's a big concern they're going to have to watch out for. Also, they have to watch out for the fact that they're nowhere near any other team that is in the Atlantic League. Mm. They are, you know, way outside of the realm of North Carolina yeah. or even Texas. They're not that close to those places. So geographically, it doesn't it, really make sense. Yeah, it's certainly hard, but I, I'm not I too mean, concerned about that. Not I mean, they played the team out in Texas when they were entirely East Coast beforehand, like really Northeast Corridor. Sure. So that's not, I don't think, as much of a concern there. Uh, well, the only reason I think that is a concern is because it's just a, the proximity to everything else. I mean, they put a team out in Texas with the idea of expanding, yeah. but this wouldn't be further expansion into this market. This is just, I mean, they already have the South, you know, they've got their South uh, Eastern market in North Carolina. They, they're not going to continue to expand, I don't think, further South. I think instead they would probably go more West toward Texas again. Yeah, true. I do see that as a point. Uh Going back to the tweet I just referenced, I said it's an unconventional market. You have Hall of Famers that are involved, and the market that was recently affiliated that isn't anymore. Those are three check marks right there that normally you see hit. I mean, look at each of these teams. They all have some sort of major league lifer, normally a Hall of Famer involved with the team. It's an unconventional market. I mean, I don't think anyone really thinks of uh, independent baseball in Mobile, Alabama. That doesn't really, you know, there's problems there, especially considering the heat that you're going to have and everything like that. That's just a concern you get once you go, you know, on the other side of the Mason-Dixon. Undoubtedly, yeah. And the market was affiliated before enemy. That's something they <coughs> they definitely look at for going there. And for what's worth, one of the nine people that liked the tweet was the uh, president and GM of the Ducks. So I'm not sure that means anything. I think it just, like, quote tweeted him and he found it humorous, but... Well, it might mean something. You never know. I choose to believe it does, even though it probably doesn't. Well, you know, we are allowed to believe what we want here on the Indie Ball Report podcast, and we're going to believe that it does until told otherwise. Exactly. It's our show. We get to, we decide the rules on our show. Dang right. But uh, I think that's kind of, kind of wrapping up on Mobile, Alabama's. There's definitely problems with it. There's definitely challenges that come with it. I think the attendance factor is something. I think uh, how, and not too much of a knock, but it's going to be a bit of a knock on the marketplace. Uh, if you notice, Mobile gets a lot of sports teams, they attend them for a while, and then they grow tired of them and don't show up. I think the attendance reflects that. I think the heat's going to be a factor, and I think when you don't really have that advantage that Affiliated Ball has coming through, I think it's going to be a major roadblock for them going forward and keeping interest. Yeah, that'll be a major roadblock, and I think also the the attendance is a serious issue. Like If you can't get over 2,000 with an Affiliated roster, what are you going to get with a independent league roster, albeit an Atlantic league roster, yeah. but still, I think it, it raises the question of, is this a viable market for any type of baseball team? Exactly. That's a problem, and we're going to have to wait and watch that develop a little bit here. Moving on now to the kind of bigger of the two stories, or at least the more interesting of the two, in my mind, uh, we have updates on the Ottawa front. So, if you have... If you're a bit uh, rusty on this, I'd recommend going back and looking at uh, episodes 22, 23, 29, 30, part one on episode 30, 31, <laughs> and 34. We covered the whole background on this and everything that's happened up to this point on those. You could go find those. The show notes for the specific timestamps are on the website. Uh, you can just go in dballreport.com, go to the show notes tab, we'll show you where, and then just go over to episodes, click the episode, and go to that point to get fully details on that however a quick just summary of the whole situation back in june miles wolf owner of the champions had his lease terminated with the city for outstanding debt then they managed to work out some sort of tentative agreement to let them finish the season then wolf couldn't afford to keep the team so he's looking to sell the team which he had been doing for several years prior but now he really went hard in the paint back in september he said this thing needs to be done by the end of the month then he didn't sell it till the middle of october and that brought us up to just about now where we had the trio, which in the past, I know I personally have been critical of, and I don't think you were terribly fond of them buying it between the two groups that were interested. Yeah, I was not <laughs> fond of them. Yeah, they went ahead and bought this entire local group, a couple of uh, financiers and portfolio managers and a regional uh, sports manager. He handled a lot of chains in uh, Ottawa, so he kind of knew distribution and kind of the business aspect of it, so I assume he'd be more the the talking head of the three and would be more hands-on with the team. They had an agreement that uh, they would buy the team with the tentative condition on it being that they had at least done with the city. That agreement now seems to not going to be uh, 
follow through on. That seems to have fallen through. Problem is, the city of Ottawa said, we don't want to deal with them. I know what you're thinking. What does that exactly mean? That means of those two groups I just mentioned, you had the three amigos, and then you had, <laughs> and then you had OSEG. OSEG is Ottawa Sports Entertainment Group. They own the Ottawa Red Blacks of the CFL. They own the Ottawa 67s of the uh, CHL, more specifically OHL. They own the soccer team, the Ottawa Furies, but they just went under. And the more important of these, the most more uh, relevant to independent league baseball, they also own the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, which we all know one of the long-standing teams from the original Northern League. They've been around for a very long time, a very successful team, both on and off the field. And actually, I believe we covered them last week with their Field of Dreams thing. So We did, yes. Yeah, so they they know what they're doing. And they're the one the city wants. I assume it's because of familiarity. I believe explicitly it was mentioned they have experience in this. They have the resources. They have the knowledge. And they're familiar with the market. And basically, there's all the reasons that if you go back to those previous episodes I had listed as, I want to see OSEG get this bid because of these things. That's exactly why the city wants to deal with them. And so now the city's saying, we're only going to make a deal with them until every possibility of getting the deal done with them has fallen through. So, when asked about it, I believe it was Abode, the one of the three owners that currently own the team. In quotes. Yep. Uh, he said, the, their bid's certainly on life support. So, they're on the verge of this coming through. So, go back to Wolf as technically the owner, although he's still actually the owner. It would then be Wolf has to deal with OCG and get that deal done. So, it's a bit of a complex situation, but it's... It's interesting. It's interesting, and I think that OSEG from the beginning was going to be the overall best group to purchase this team. I think Ottawa was going to have some struggles either way with this lease agreement. I think even if it was OSEG, Certainly. yeah, I think even if it was OSEG, there would have been some back and forth, some pushback from the city council, as we've seen in the past. However, I do think that this group of three guys, while as well-meaning and certainly well-intentioned as they were, certainly didn't seem to be the better to financially or capably overall of being able to run this team better than Miles Wolf. Exactly. I just, I, that group, I always thought, ah, it's not going to work out that great. I think their resources would have been limited. Like I said in the past, I think it seemed just like a couple of buddies in a bar that all decided we should own a baseball team one day and the opportunity presented itself and they took advantage of it. Not that uh, to say they couldn't do a good job, but just that they, from the outside perspective, it didn't look like they had the resources to do the right job or the right. best job possible. <laughs> right. And then also just because of where they are in terms of what the team is right now. I mean, the team is not on good footing right now financially. You yeah. need a group with some financial... Yeah, 500000 in the hole. Yeah, you need a group with some financial backing to dig themselves out. And OSCG clearly has the financial backing to do so. Exactly. That's one of the things here that's uh, important to note and why OSCG... Is probably the better of the two because what would happen is OZG promised to cover the 500000 that's in the debt. And also they would include another 500000 in capital to the city. So they're investing about a million dollars Canadian into this team to make it successful. More so than that, they're also going to pay 125000 for exclusivity. So it'll go back to being exclusively the champions in that facility, which would be good for them. They could get that back up and running to the level it should. Also, it would be a 10-year lease agreement, so they would have some stability there where you wouldn't have to worry about it. And more importantly than all of this, oh, they already have two letters of in, of interest from uh, a couple of leagues. Yeah, I mean, and that's... And they're not small leagues. No, they're not small leagues. And, you know, the other thing is, is that, right, I mean, we've talked about, you know, maybe, you know, like a Frontier League kind that of situation. Of and, maybe. and the other league was the Atlantic League, which yeah. would solve your mobile problem if you brought them in. Yeah. This would be for 2021, obviously. Yeah. And, and so if you do have this, you know, very stable group in OSCG in there, and they can make these kind of big brother kind of deals, like these, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, MLB, not MLB, but big league kind of deals where you have, you know, a group with a lot of professionality and a lot of, uh, you know, just support overall, like we're saying, resources and other things that have been able to do what is necessary would be make a big difference, I think. 
And so, you know, and, and the other thing that really irks me about this whole Ottawa situation is that Miles Wolf has not been able to really take care of this team. He's supposed to be the tenant, the owner and the tenant of this team and of baseball in Ottawa, and he hasn't been able to do so. And I think that's why you need OSCG, because you're going to have a professional force, like I was saying before, a professional force that's going to come in and take over and clean house and get rid of this, not able to pay, not able to do this, and really be able to turn Ottawa around, no matter what what league they're in, whether it's the New Frontier League or it's going to be in the Atlantic League. Agree there. I think the professionalism aspect is something that needs to be addressed too. I, I like what you're getting on that. I think you need that kind of uh, really majority backing to feel confident about them lasting. And like you said before, they're not exactly in the best of shape here. They're fighting for their lives already in a market that's kind of 50-50. Their ballpark's not in the best situation. They haven't really ever been given the right opportunity to succeed and so when you're in that kind of a position you know it's not going to bode terribly well for you you're going to be having your back against the wall an awful lot so i mean that's something you have to uh take into consideration there and like you're saying with wolf there i think that more or less goes to show how you need that kind of local familiar ownership group which is the one benefit of that trio there they are locals they do know the the market very well and i give them that much but at the same time ocg has a lot of experience in this market they know how to do business in Ottawa. They've been successful at doing business in Ottawa for the most part, with the exception of uh, the Fury, but that was a complicated situation from my understanding as well. So all in all, I give them a bit of a pass there, and I think they are the best to handle this. Undoubtedly, I think they're the best to handle this, and I think that if you go with these guys, there's a higher... It's not that necessarily there's they couldn't do a good job. It's that there's a higher risk and a lower reward. Right. I mean, they they don't have the backing to be able to or the connections to get them into the Atlantic League. So there's a lower reward there and there's a higher risk that they just won't be able to handle this. It's not saying they 100 percent will. But, you know, from an outsider's perspective, there's a very good chance they won't be able to handle this. Exactly. Plus, you have to consider this much after they dig themselves out of this nearly five thousand dollar hole that they are into past vendors and the city itself. How much money are they going to have to spend on the baseball team? Yeah, really. And you're going to need more than the Summer Collegiate League in that ballpark because already it's 10,000 seats, and that's a very large ballpark. And there's absolutely, you know, there hasn't been much rumbling of the Atlantic League going there. Uh, I've been asking around on that front, and it seems like mum's the word on that, even though they do have the letter of interest. So I assume at some level there is interest. Yeah. It's a varied situation there, and it's going to be one to watch as that plays out. December 3rd, there's going to be a uh, finance committee meeting on this, so we'll probably know more then, and we'll know more next week going into the Q&A show. So we'll probably do a little like 10-minute uh, bit there beforehand to update anything that's happened there. So be a situation to watch. No doubt. It's a situation to watch as it moves forward, and as it's been from the beginning, it's complex. Exactly. It'll continue to be complex until it gets sorted out, but hopefully it's sorted out in a manner that keeps baseball in Ottawa in one form or another. In any case, let's go to some minor updates and stories and then get to the fun stuff. All right. So first thing on the agenda, and I needed to mention this, so I put it down specifically in the notes. Minor GM, Justin Fiorella. That's an awesome mustache. It is. It's a great mustache. He really is going strong for his no shave November. Yeah. Uh, really, really very proud of him. Movember strong with him. You know, this is one of those things where this is an off-season thing where if we didn't see, if this was in the regular season, I wouldn't even mention it. But it's off-season. I thought it needed to be mentioned. We're going to link the tweet where you can see this in. It's awesome. You need you need to see this. This is one well-groomed mustache. Just looks, you know, it got a Ron Swanson look to it. If, <laughs> for those that are familiar with Parks and Rec. Oh, of course, yes. Or Nick Offerman in general. So it's just. It's that kind of thing, and it looks like it belongs in baseball, and I hope he does not shave it. I hope he just leaves it for the entirety of the season. It's a baseball mustache, no doubt. Also, while we're on uh, you know topics like this a little bit, I did want to bring up the greatest mascot in the history of mascots. Oh, here Pinch, we go. Pinch the Blue Crab. All right, Pinch the Blue Crab is the greatest mascot ever. Uh, you all need to follow him on Instagram immediately uh, at Pinch the Blue Crab. You know, he tweets out a picture of your tweet and retweets you and everything, and if that I mean, gets him. I mean, look. It seems like he's been bribed. He's a beautiful-looking blue crab. My cause has been bribed by he's a crab. A, all right, that's all I've got to say. Move on. We're going to be watching you and that crab. In any case, let's continue on. Uh, next thing up on the list, uh, Southern, Bl- Southern Maryland blue crab manager 
partner Stan Clyburn. He is going to be managing the California Winter League. So from January to February for that month, he will have a team. It's basically a prospect league where you'll see some teams that go out, they'll play. Uh, you'll have about eight teams, I believe, managed by various different people. And basically just to get footage for all the guys there. And It's just an interesting little note. So maybe you'll see some more guys from that league wind up in the Atlantic League. Yep, that's a good opportunity for him to kind of go down there and kind of rebuild the Blue Crabs a little bit. Obviously, they're in a transition rebuilding kind of year last year, so hopefully this year they'll be able to move forward and get some talent uh, to rival Pinch, of course. Yep, of course. They're in. I mean, they had some pieces last year. Their outfield was pretty strong. They did, yeah. I like what they did in the disposal draft, picking up Galvez amongst others. Definitely yep. a strong job there. Uh, Galvez, uh, Reitmacher, um, other guys including that uh, if Latos is back, that's obviously going to be a strong addition to the bullpen. Of course. Daryl yeah. Thompson, if he's back, again, you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to be a very solid guy. And uh, you got some other really solid infield pieces there with uh, Garcia and others. So it'll be interesting to see that. Hopefully they can uh, turn it around from last year. Uh, next thing up, we have a, a bit of a relatively large trade frontier league-wise. Involves two former Can-Am teams from the same province. That'd be the province of Quebec as the Capitals and the Agals made a trade. Uh, David Glad, he winds up going back to Quebec. I say back to Quebec because he had one plate appearance in his rookie season with Quebec. Wow. So technically he's going back to where he started his career, even though it's only on uh, the thinnest of technicalities. There you go. And he will be exchanging a one-for-one deal with TJ White. If you want to look at their numbers, uh, Glad, he batted 290, uh, slugged 485, or 458, my mistake, and an OPS of 893, 13 home runs. He's a second baseman and an outfielder primarily. That is where he's kind of at there. Uh, as for White, he batted 274, 484 for slugging, and a 853, so 853 on the OPS, 10 home runs, primarily a DH. Now, Glad did his thing in 90 games and in 58 games for White there. So let that speak for itself. The year-wise, Glad had the year White had in 2018, and they kind of switched around. So it seems like a fairly even deal, even though I'm more of a, I'm less of a fan of White, more of a fan of Glad. Yeah, I think Glad's probably a little bit more of a developed player in terms of offensively. Uh, although, like you said, they're rather comparable. But I think at this point, it's a fairly even trade and, and good for mm. both teams that they've moved who they wanted to move. And as we get to the point where they're considering building some of these rosters, it could be a good addition for both sides. Exactly. It's just a minor enough trade, but they you probably saw the best player from Quebec switch with one of the better players from uh, Gala. So I figured mention that. Nice enough trade. Solid player going to Quebec. Equally solid player going back to Three Rivers. And the case next thing up is Gateway. They hired the former River City Rascal manager, front, current Frontier League champion manager, Steve Brook, as their pitching coach. Uh, this is to replace James Frisbee, who took the manager job over in Lincoln in the American Association. So they kind of filled out all those roles. Uh, Brook, he managed the Rascals for nine years from 2010 to 2011, three years after his playing career with the Rascals finished up and he had a 542 to 415 record as a manager with two league championships in his first year and his last year managing the team so a very solid manager and a successful one at that undoubtedly a very solid manager and a great pickup i think it's definitely somebody who can be uh, impactful especially for younger players as we saw there uh, with what what he did, and so I just think that overall this is going to be a very good pickup for them, and I think that he is certainly a manager who's shown himself to be great, and I love the fact that he's a former player. He really has the ability to connect with you know the, the pitchers and the players in that way. Exactly. I like this hire a lot. He's clearly successful as a manager. You have a lot of quality staff now in that gateway dugout. Hopefully they can uh, kind of turn gateway around who had a bit of a lackluster season last year and turn them into a champion again. And uh, hopefully Brooke will manage to move on from being a pitching coach to back to managing soon enough as possibly an option for Gastonia. That Ooh. could be something I would look at. I, I mean, like he's been that. very successful in the Frontier League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw Jamie Keefe, who was in the uh, Can-Am, and those are fairly comparable leagues. It was very successful there. He managed to move forward to the Atlantic. He'd definitely be on my short list for guys to watch. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good name to watch right there. That's a good little nugget. Yeah. Uh, so we'll move now to Shakopee. 
Uh, they are now in the process of getting more specific about their stadium. Not too much here. Uh, they need $600,000 from investors by Halloween of next year. Uh, they already have about 6000 of it, and that was in about a, a month or so of fundraising. So they're getting there at a slow enough pace, but they're going to get there. Uh, that was from public money, 6000 from public oh, okay. funding. So they have other investors as well. Right. That's important to know, too. Uh, they set their target date for spring of 2021 to get this thing all squared away and get a team cooking there. That team would be the Metro Millers. Just something of note for Shakopee. So they have a specific location now, too, for that ballpark. That's what that is for Shakopee. We'll get into more detail about them later on. If you're interested about it, toss in as a Q&A question. Let us know. Yeah, as it gets closer to that deadline yeah. for them to get to their $600,000 or for that stadium to get built, we'll, we'll deal with that when it comes. Exactly. That's more down the line. And that plan for the stadium still needs to be presented to the city, by the way. So that's kind of a... Uh, there seems to depend the cart before the horse a little bit. But, a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know. There'll be something to watch. Kind of uh, quickly running it down. Last two stories before we jump into the fun stuff. Somerset got some new staff. Uh, I know we have a lot of Somerset fans, so I figured to include this. Uh, Suzanne Cologne will take over as team controller. Uh, Schultz, the current guy, he is retiring at the end of the month. So on Sunday, we'll have a new uh, team controller taking over. Uh, previously, uh, Cologne worked for the USGA. So very lofty organization there, well-ran organization. So good experience there. Uh, Nate Rowe moves from the bullpen into his new role as group sales manager. So he goes from a player now to a front office person. So congrats to Nate Rowe on that front. Best of luck to him there. Uh, Andy Stuntka, I believe it is pronounced, he is now the new operations manager and also part of group sales as well. He's a group sales manager as well. He's a lifetime fan. That's really his claim to fame on this team. He's been going to games since he was apparently two. He was a bat boy with the team. He interned last year. He got a role as a ticket sales guy this past season, and now he's been promoted. So he's moving through the ranks fairly quickly. He seems to be Mr. Somerset, as he's been part of this team for a very long time. So congratulations to him. And at about 23, 24, he's already a manager of what appears to be at least some importance in this organization. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, definitely something that is really interesting and we love to hear stories like that of people kind of building themselves up and building their own path within the organization. So that's really cool. Exactly. Very well there. And now a couple of promotions here. Uh, Zach Keller will now be the director of operations for Somerset. We knew that a couple months back, but now that's just official. Um, also, the director of administration will now be Michael DaCosta. So he takes over in that uh, facility. And as far as home plate catering and uh, I believe it's Homestead or something like that, that's the company that runs the ballpark. Uh, Jimmy Search will now be the assistant GM of the park. So he'll manage the stadium or work hand in hand with the GM to kind of manage the ballpark. That's also just something of note for Somerset fans there. I think they're all fine hires. I don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other on them. Nope. No, no <laughs> strong feelings, but certainly congratulations to all parties. A very exciting time for the Somerset Patriots as they are looking at some stadium renovations as they kind of laid out a little bit earlier in the year. And so it's going to be very exciting to be part of that organization moving forward. Of course. Yep. Congrats to all of them. And if Somerset picked them, I assume they're good choices. They're a well-ran organization and they've earned the trust of who they pick. Undoubtedly. And then the last thing here, before we get to our recommended rules for 2020 in the Atlantic League, we have the finalist for the Florence team names. If you remember back, we were mentioning how Florence is doing a rename of the team. New ownership group came in. They want to rebrand to kind of establish themselves as ownership groups. So they change from the Florence Freedom to the Florence To Be Determined. It will be one of these five names. You can hear about the specifics of why each one of these are region-centric or why these were the finalists and how many votes they got and whatnot uh, in the link we'll have in the description. But here are the five. I haven't seen anyone really as a diehard fan of any of these yet, including myself. I think they're all quite underwhelming. Quite. <laughs> However, without further ado, we have the Florence Go-Getters, the Florence Fossil Jockeys, the Florence Yalls, the Florence Pop Flies, and the Florence No Socks. Uh, you know? The silence was deafening. That is, uh, you know, those are some names. I don't know if they're the names I would have picked. Certainly not, because they're not very good. Uh, you know, <laughs> there are some names. Just to spit out, Bear, let's, let's go ahead and first off 
kill off go-getters. That is terrible. Uh, <laughs> the yalls are beyond the point of underwhelming. Uh, I see what they're going for, but uh, no. Uh, <laughs> pop the- flies is a terrible pun. Horrible play on a pop fly. Oh, oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, that's what they're going for in their description. So oh. I, I, I don't like that at all. So really, now we got down to the no socks, which is haha sock and baseball, um, <laughs> which is supposed to play on that kind of Kentucky culture. Which I'm not really sure if that's a positive or not. Um, yeah. And then sure. the the fossil jockeys. That's the one I'm going to lean for. I think I'm pro fossil jockey at the list. Uh, it's the least terrible of the five, to be honest. And frankly, I would have just kept the freedom if I knew this is what was going on there. As it's hard to say, uh, you know, let's beat the freedom or down with freedom. You know, that's that's a hard thing to sell. Freedom's uh, a lot better than any of these. And uh, all I'll say is... You're to, not a fan of the no socks? As to what I'll, I'll say to these names is uh, I have uh, no comment on the matter. They are that bad. <laughs> I think uh, you're telling the no socks to kick rocks. Exactly. Very, uh, ni- very nice rhyme right there. I like yeah. that. Uh, swat the f- pop flies. You're not going to say howdy to y'alls? Uh, nope. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm not even going to try false jockey or go get it because go get is too easy and false jockeys. The more I think it may just be kind of a Stockholm thing, but I'm starting to like fossil jockeys. <laughs> well, you know what? Well, then I'll, I'll let you have fossil jockeys and I will again. Uh, my official comment will be no comment. Because all I'm going to say here is I want like kind of like that Sinclair dinosaur, you know, from the gas <laughs> yeah, 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 as the yeah. logo. <laughs> Only I want like a caveman or something riding it with a saddle. I want it with some headphones, like a disc <laughs> jockey kind of thing. Uh, I think a saddled up uh, brontosaurus, I think that is, would be a very cool thing. That would be very cool. I, now that I would like. Now the logo could save it. If it's fossil jockey and it's a it's a dinosaur, then I really like that. Now, they could even invest like in one of those inflatable dinosaur heads or something and they could run out onto the field in that. Yeah. Kind of like go that. with like a football thing. Uh, you can vote for which one you want to be the winner. Uh, that voting is open until December 11th. The winner will be announced by Christmas Day. Uh, although I personally abstain from voting as these are not good choices. There should be another write-in that could win the day. But fun thing now. All right. So we've been teasing this for a little bit, a couple of weeks now. Uh, as for suggested Atlantic League rules. So as we all know, due to the MLB partnership, which... Is controversial, we'll say. It's not widely agreed upon as a liked or disliked thing. But what we do know is that they do change the rules quite frequently and they can do it on a moment's notice. So we figured, why not throw our suggestions in there? Oh, yeah. We're important enough where we should get a say. I want to say. And so these are some rules that are just crazy enough that they may do them. <laughs> Some of these make sense. Some of these are interesting. And some of these are, well, they're not going to happen. But, you know. It's better than moving the mound back. So, <laughs> so I will go ahead and defer to you and allow you to begin with your first. Ooh. And we'll go through your rules first, and then we'll go over to my rules, and we'll discuss each one as uh, as they come up. All right. So here is my first rule. So this one, it's a little radical change, but I think because we have the, uh, you know, the rule where you can uh, tip the ball uh, or not tip the ball and swing and miss and on any pitch run down to first base because of that rule, I've said, well, why not? Let's just add another out. Let's give me four outs. Four outs. I want four outs. Gonna have to have to change a lot of uh, the song and the culture around have that. To change a lot of song, but you know what? Give me four outs. I guess it's not one, two, three. You're out. It's. Uh, I guess it's not uh, three and out anymore. No, no. It's it's. You need four outs. Uh, let's get four outs in there. This way, it'll make offense a little bit more have a little bit more chance uh, to get in there and really make a difference. Yeah. All right. So treating this one seriously, like we're going to treat these. Obviously, uh, this is a long shot, but clearly, I don't think it's because of any sort of traditional thing. Because as we know, Manfred and company do not care for tradition. It's just something to be disposed of. I would say your biggest problem with this is just going to make the game longer. And that's something they're not going to like. Now, if you went to four outs, but shortened it to seven innings, I think they could do that. I think they'd be game for that because you still have, roughly speaking, the same amount of outs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe something like that would work. You know, obviously, there's plenty of flexibility within this mm. suggestion, this recommendation, if you will. But I think that 
uh, four outs for me would, would really be able to make a big difference because how many times do you have two outs and, you know, bases loaded and a guy strikes out and they leave the bases loaded? Imagine if you had another out. I imagine what Somerset may have actually made the playoffs. But Somerset may have actually made the playoffs. So it would really do something for these teams that struggle offensively and you'd be able to see a lot more scoring. So that would be fun. But you're right that yeah. it, it probably wouldn't work for time reasons. But if you did shorten the game a little bit, maybe take an inning or two off, it could be an interesting suggestion. Plus, I would like to see a quadruple play. Go Ooh. around the going around the horn would be a whole another uh, take on a whole new meeting. Absolutely. I mean, imagine that little never in front of the plate, grab it, step it home, throw down the third, go down the second, see if you can't get the guy first. That'd be a really quadruple fun. play. That that would get the crowd going though. I mean, imagine it's the seventh inning playoff game, it's an elimination game. You're on the line. It's T D Bank Stadium. You've had a great day from your start, but you pushed him a little too long, so you left two guys on. Went to the bullpen, bad first pitch, base hit into left field, gets the relay in just in time to keep the bases loaded. You Then you get a little nubber. You quadruple get, play. Go, go for that quadruple play. The whole park explodes. Uh, TD get, Bank ballpark roars. You get all that blood rushing, the emotion flowing. That would be... It would be something. It'd be a fun one. But yeah, no. So I don't, I don't know if that one would happen, but that's my first suggestion. My second suggestion would be standard ballpark dimensions. Now, this has plenty of flexibility in terms of what exactly you would do with this. Mm -hmm. uh, some folks might want to make every ballpark a little bit bigger so you have less offense. But with the way that the uh, game is trending today, I think it would be a cut down, a reduction uh, in the size of all ballparks. So you can only make your fences a certain amount of feet away uh, okay. from the place. Where they have a certain height restriction? Sure, yep. Certain height restriction. So you couldn't have a green monster. Okay. As type thing um yeah you know obviously this would be more of an atlantic league only rule yeah. as it would be very 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 difficult to get boston to reduce the green monster yeah. um, i but, mean even they got some of those wall i think york has one of those types of those right, big walls too so walls. they wouldn't like that yeah so maybe you can you can you know that i uh, like can I said, very it. flexible you go, the, if it's over this line it's a home run right you could go yeah exactly and so instead of like if it hits the wall it's as if it goes over the line it's a home run so that was what i would do okay um i think just to make everything more fair because you know how many times do we talk about it whether it's major league baseball or any ball park mm -hmm. oh that would have been out in you know yankee stadium and you know not at all in you know another ballpark so yeah, yeah, you know yeah, we I, talk about that all the time so i think that a standard dimension would make the game would make things a little bit more equitable in terms of where you're playing it would certainly level the playing field i mean if you think of it like this every other sport has a set dimension field football is always going to be a uh, hundred yards in between the two end zones you know hockey's always going to have the same length on the ice surface uh, basketball is always going to have the same court. It's just how this is going to work because mm -hmm. that's how most sports operate. Baseball is the kind of outlier to that. So it would be interesting if you said, like, bring them into, say, 325 in the corners and 350 to center. It would make a, a lot more offense. It would probably keep more attention. Yeah. And I think it would be very that, – that actually is very interesting. Again, now – the logistics behind doing it, which is probably the limiting factor to it. Right. Certainly in the Atlantic League, I think that would be very difficult. But I think, if you, you know, Major League teams move, do adjustments to the ballpark every offseason. So yeah. I could see something like that not being impossible in mm -hmm. some of these parks anyway. And you could make certain distinctions regarding historical parks. Like you're not going to move the Green Monster. You're not going to yeah. move, you know, Wrigley. You're not moving the Ivy. Right. You're not yeah. moving the Ivy. But if, but for oh, almost across the board for every other team that is, you know, feasible, yeah, yeah. you you should, you know, do that. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my second one. So All right, my, let's go to number three. Number three. Number three is no foul tip. So when meaning by this, so when the ball is foul tipped into the glove on a two strike count, instead of the catcher catching it and it being strike three, it's just a foul ball. And I, this rule has always bothered me as both a player uh, and now as somebody who just talks about baseball. This rule just infuriates me. Even when I coached a little bit, just infuriated me because you know if it's if you make contact with the ball and it's a foul ball, it is. You know, 
It, this is not something that the catcher, as as someone who played catcher, you do not actually catch the ball. It just kind of winds up in your glove. You are not putting any you know effort. There's into no it. attempt behind There's it. There's no attempt behind it. It's just the ball goes in or it does not. And so I think it's a lot more luck uh, than skill in that regard for most catchers. So I think that that one I would do away with, especially because you've messed with that a little bit with the uh, drop third strike. Uh, you know, you could run on any yeah, pitch yeah. like it's a drop third strike uh, on any pitch so i think that that would be my you know kind of third rule there i really like that one that's probably my favorite one that i picked because it is such a pet peeve of mine to see a guy you know strike out on a three two count uh, when the ball was foul, foul tip, tip. yeah and, and, and oftentimes it's not even caught it's I, I can't tell you how many times as a player that i trapped it you know off yeah. the off the bounce and just sold it and the umpire went yeah. out you know and oh yeah that, no, that this one I like and I actually think has a chance. Now, I'm not sure how much of a chance it has, but I, I can see it because you've seen all these other rules change at that catcher position. Because if you really think about it, ABS affects the catcher the most because framing now means nothing. Yep. And obviously the wild pitch, you can just run down. I, I'd like to see this. I think now if it's foul tip and caught by the catcher, then it would just be counted as a foul ball. Just count it as a foul ball. Yep. Okay. I... And this only counts if it's within the strike zone or within the certain box. It's okay. not. I'm not talking if the ball is hit up in the air or if yeah. it's a pop up. That is a totally different thing. That takes you know skill to find the ball, track the ball, catch. So it. just if it's tipped into the mitt. Only if it's tipped into the mitt. That is just a reaction. That has nothing to do with skill or anything like that. It is just the glove happened to be there and the ball bounced in. You know, I like that one. I think that one is. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it changes a lot. Of, well, not terribly much because you can't really plan with it, but it changes a lot how. How you go forward from that. I think it's uh, it's one that's worth considering because I think it's just one of those little things that the only hang-up is going to be time because it adds on and the smallest of fraction of time because now you need another pitch. Right. But I think it would be interesting enough. I think it would create more offense, which is obviously a plus for a lot of the people changing these rules. Yep, and so my that so that's my third rule and my favorite. So my final one, uh, I I also think if you're gonna move the mound back, well, why not just make the base pass smaller? So that's my thing is I'm gonna make the base pass smaller. So this is anywhere between eighty and seventy five feet, so about a ten uh, to fifteen foot reduction in the base path. Well, why not make it smaller? Let's see more offense. Let's have some fun with it. I mean, if we're gonna move the mound back, then everything's fair game. Exactly. Now, see this, I like. Because now we're bringing speed back into the game. Because stolen yep. bases don't really happen anymore. No, they don't. That's hard to see. At least on the major league level. In the Atlantic League, you see a bit more. But still, it's not them as common as it used to be. Right. So I like that. And do like the offense aspect of it. I think it's very interesting. Plus, now you have more outfield to play with. So it makes... Uh, it makes fielding your position a little bit different too. It, it makes fielding position a little bit different. Uh, you know, easier for the the infielders, right? Mm. I mean, you won't have to make such you know long throws. So I think yeah. that's interesting as well. Probably so see more double plays. You probably see more double plays, which is good for speed of the game and things like that. Yeah. But you'll also see, like you're saying, more stolen bases. It'll be a lot easier to steal second base, third base, even yep. home, even. Yep. Uh, so a lot of action. A lot, lot of action keeps your attention going. A lot of action, and then, like you said, it'll make the outfield a little bit bigger so you'll really prioritize instead of having guys who are you know good batters who you stick them in left or right one of the corner outfield Mm. spots and they're okay gloves out there you'll prioritize having the best athletes out there and that's what i think people really want to see is the best best athletes who are going to go out there and track the ball and get it yep plus you're going to see a lot more ping main plays i mesh you're going to see guys that would have just had to be content with a single they're going to try and stretch it to two which obviously is going to you know make the game more exciting so I honestly, that's one rule which, when I first heard it, when we were talking before we went on, I was like, ah, that seems a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but when you think about it, it's like, ah, actually, that's not that bad. But, but so, yeah, so those are my rules. So how many of those rules do you actually believe in? Uh, one. I believe one. the the. I think the foul tip rule. Okay. Uh, I think that could actually stick. I think that one. I actually would like to see implemented, even if it's just for a short period of time, because I, I like I said, I think it does change. Because if you've done enough work to foul tip the baseball, it's a foul tip. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that that is something I've been hung up on for a long time. And I've seen some great at-bats, you know, end in a foul tip. And it's always like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, he fought another really tough breaking ball off and he caught it. So I really would like to see. Yeah, it is uh, a bit anticlimactic when you think about it. Yeah, so I'd like to see that happen, um, you know, kind of moving forward. And, and that's the one I think 
could I could see them doing. The other one I could kind of see maybe is the base path if they really kind of want to change specific things and really all in on it. Mm. Maybe you see that, but I, I don't. I don't think so. I think the other three are a little bit less feasible. Yeah. All right. So then we'll go to my rules now. So these, I've had some of these cooking for a while. And I got to be honest, I don't believe in a lot of them, but some of them are, uh, they're all going to be fun. I'll say that much. The first one we have is throwing over counts as a ball, but you cannot walk on it. So that would mean if you are at a uh, three and anything count and you throw over, it won't be ball four. That That's not that's going to work. So it'd be basically like you can't uh, strike on a foul ball unless you bunt a foul. But even now you got to bunt a foul twice. It'd be similar to that. So the logic behind this is how many times do you see a pitcher just throw over and then throw over and then throw over? They could throw over four or five times in that bat and you're just going to, that guy's going to be going no matter how many times you throw over there. He's not going any closer back to the bag now. He's going to go. All you're doing is slowing this down, taking the action out, taking the air out from the moment. Let's just let this happen. And if he's going to steal, he's going to steal. If not, he's going to get caught or he's just going to be standing at first or second. So my thought on that was it's going to help speed it up because either that's going to be a walk now or he's going to be putting the pitcher in a much more difficult position or we're going to see more offense from it. And so that's my thought on that. Yeah, I think the other thing with that one is why I particularly like that one. It's because a lot of times a pitcher won't actually pick off uh, to do anything more than keep a guy close, it'll yep. be also be just to give the pitcher a break. Just, uh, you know what? I've had enough. Um, you know, I'm a little rattled right now. I'm a little yeah. shaken up. I'm going to throw over. Well, you know what? This is baseball. Step off, collect yourself, and pitch. Don't, you know, you don't need to throw over 15 times in a row because you need to, you know, take a breather. You know, Because it's the, one of the most frustrating things in baseball oh, when they just awful. keep throwing over. It's like, come on. Once I get, you want to throw over once, right. maybe even twice, you got a really fast guy on first. Three times, let's be honest here, he was either going or not. That mean nothing to him. I mean, and the other thing is is that a lot of times it's guys who aren't stealing, and yeah. it's just a pitcher. They're playing mind games. Right, my, playing mind games, you know, trying to get him back. You know, sometimes with a left-handed pitcher, you'll have somebody who you're trying to pick off, and left-handed pitchers might do this more often still because they actually have the chance to pick guys off because it's a lot easier from the lefty to do that move. But mm. from a right-handed pitcher, very rare are you going to pick yeah. anybody off. And so it's more about keeping them close, but you can do different looks, different things to keep them close without throwing over 15 times in a row. And if you feel you need to throw over, then at, you know now you 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 give up the ball, but at least you're now, you know, you, you're you're actually throwing over with purpose. Yep. That and also what I like about this is you can implement this and then take away the dumb pickoff rule that they have now where you have to step off and then throw over. Yeah, where, that's dumb. <laughs> but you're not picking anyone off with that. No. This still allows you to throw over like you did before. It's going to limit the amount of actual pickoffs that happen. And more importantly than all of that, you're not going to see people try to pick other guys off as much. And I'd also even put the, I'd be willing to put the caveat in here where if you pick them off, it's not a ball. Right. Yep. That That's fine by me because at least something meaningful happened. There has to be a meaningful action here. Yeah, it just can't be, let's throw over 15 times in a row. Exactly. Just every, any baseball fan knows how boring and how frustrating that is. Oh, yeah. And when it's a big situation, how much it's just like, oh, come and, on. And a lot of times in big games, pitchers will do that to take the air out of the crowd. Yeah. If they're you know the away pitcher and the crowd is really getting rocking, that's the worst. When you the crowd's going crazy and you're ready to go and then he throws over. It's like, oh, God. It's like, oh, come on. Throw the ball. Yeah. All right. So now rule number two, making a defensive sub after the seventh inning removes your DH. Now, this is a rule that I just came up with because I hate the DH. I don't think it's a real position. It shouldn't <laughs> exist. And just let the pitcher bat. He's an athlete, too. He can hit the ball. Play with it. Deal with it. Any case, so what this would basically do is it makes it adds strategy into the game, which is what my main goal with a lot of these rules was. I want to see actual pitchers have to... You know, think, managers have to think and decide what they're going to do. If you want to say, okay, we need to get the defensive subs in now. We need to take the bats out that aren't really, you know, good at fielding. They're all right, but not great. You can throw in the sub guy, but no, you're taking a lot of offense out. And that's kind of kind of be, that's kind of has to be the ebb and flow. There has to be a pro and there has to be a con to this. And obviously you're going to be moving offense. That's going to be a con to this rule. However, it does make a lot more strategy. You have to decide, all right, we just had the nine spot in, which is where the DH would be, or 
just sub the pitcher into whatever spot the DH is. So if your DH, let's say, made the last out of the inning, maybe it's a good decision now to make that substitution. So now that pitcher may not hit. However, that still presents an opportunity if this goes to extra innings. I just like to base off a strategy alone. I think it's a great strategy move. And the other reason that I really like this rule is because, like you're saying, there's a lot of fans who feel like you do, that the yeah. that the DH is in some way against the traditional role of baseball and that baseball should be played without it. And it's a good kind of finding common ground for those fans who don't really love the DH. I don't mind the DH, but that's because I'm an American League fan. So I can understand, certainly understand the National League fans' perspective of this is the way baseball should be played. Pitchers should be athletes athletes as well as everybody else. So I understand that. Uh, and while I might disagree with how vehemently sometimes uh, it is argued, uh, I, I do certainly see your point. And I think this is a great balance to strike with it, that certainly in big moments in games, all right, you want to make that defensive substitution, you have to go and get a pitcher to hit. And I really like that. I think it adds strategy. I think it's just overall a smart rule and one I could absolutely see uh, the Atlantic League putting in. I could 100% see it. Rule number three. This is where they kind of get 50-50, but, <laughs> you know, I think it's interesting. So this is kind of uh, drawing inspiration from Little League. A player that was substituted into the game can re-enter the game if it goes into extra innings. Now, this is not for every substitution. You can't sub out your whole outfield, bring in new guys, and then bring the starters back in. It's not even like it's basketball where you can sit your starters for a bit and then bring them back in <laughs> off the bench. It's one guy you can designate. So let's say going into the game, your fourth outfielder guy, that when you hand over your lineup card to the umpire, you go, yeah, number 39, he's going to be my sub player. So if I sub him in, he's going to come back in. Then in the eighth inning, you go, okay, we have a lead. We're up by two. I'm going to take my big bat out now. I'm going to sub in number 39. So I could put him in and then sub him out. So 39 comes into the game. Your pitcher, not a good inning, gives up the two runs. We go now into extra innings. You can sub 39 out for the player that was, you know, subbed out to bring him in. So this isn't like a rule where, okay, I can bring this guy in and then bring someone new in. So there's three guys involved. No, it's just a straight up reversal of the sub you had made earlier in the game. This one's just one of those rules where I think it's for speed purposes. Obviously, if a guy is a defensive specialist, that means they're not good at hitting. They're probably only fast and really good at fielding. That's not how you end games in extra innings. You end it by hitting. And if you want to get the game done quickly, best way is to bring the best bats into the game. And that is exactly what that would do. I think it also helps bring in a lot of guys, helps get them more tape, and helps move them on to affiliated ball, which is ultimately the goal of independent league baseball. And more so, I think it's just very interesting. Now, obviously, there's a con. Uh, it's a radical change. It certainly changes how baseball is done. It certainly will ruffle feathers. Uh, obviously, it's going to have a kind of little league vibe to it. And <laughs> obviously, uh, it's going to be kind of hard to follow when you hear, you know, now re-entering the game. It's going to be <laughs> a bit jarring at first. And if you're not paying attention, you'll be like, hey, wait, I thought they subbed him out. Although yep. they did, but they subbed them back in. Well, you know, I, I think this is an interesting one. I think that, you know, like you're saying, a lot of people who might be used to playing the game at, at the higher levels will be very jarred by this and watching the game at the higher levels will be very jarred by this. However, for, you know, guys who have played, you know, Babe Ruth League, you know, kind of lower level yeah. men's league kind of things, you've, this is what happens. You know, this yeah. is just, I mean, it's not this, it's, you know, everybody plays, you know, yeah. usually every, a lot of these leagues, it's everybody plays. So, I don't think in any way it actually detracts from the overall game of baseball. I think what it does is, like you're saying, it allows, again, for more strategy. And also, it just allows for the best players to be up in the best positions. So I, I think that overall, it's not a bad rule. I, I actually think that it would be a rule that if, if implemented, would speed up games and yep. would add to more offense. Because how many times in extra innings do we see it go 13, 14, 15 innings? Exactly. And in a league like this, people aren't staying to past the 12th inning yep unless the playoff game and even then it's a 50 50 coin flip probably leaning on the side of ah, i got work tomorrow yeah especially if it's a weeknight or something Ooh, see ya exactly so you want to get the game over with as quickly as possible once you hit extra innings especially for like the few press people that are there that have a deadline to meet overtime is like the worst thing you do not want to see overtime because that's just going to delay everything and so when you have something like this 
I think it just helps speed up the game, helps the offense, helps get people more tape, gets them in the games. It helps, just generally speaking, everybody. And also, with the limited roster you have, in fact, you don't really have, you know, a minor league to pull from here. Right. Uh, you know, it it helps to reuse those players to help to make the most out of your roster to, to utilize the most. Obviously, I don't think uh, this is kind of major league move that you'd see in the MLB. Uh, that would really just that a lot of people would be very upset by this in the major leagues. And so that's why I don't think it may it will really happen. But I think it's interesting enough to uh, discuss. We'll move to number four now. Number four. So a mound visit will count as an intentional walk. Now with this, I am willing to concede some points on it. I'm willing to go <laughs> and say it will only count as an intentional walk once you've used up all of your mound visits, which may already be on the books. I'm not entirely sure on that, which in that case, then remove that caveat. Get rid of all the restrictions. Just say whenever you go out to visit the mound, you intentionally walk the guy at the plate or that it's due up. I think that's, uh, I think it's a bit interesting. I think it also adds strategy again, which was one, my main point. I don't see it ever happening. No. But I think it's interesting. I think this one couldn't happen, but I do think that it would be kind of fun. And I think it would get rid of mound visits because, I mean, I, I, especially if it's only manager mound visits or pitching yeah. coach mound visits, uh, I'd be in favor of more. So It'd just be someone coming out of the dugout to yeah. talk, not, not a meeting on the mound yeah. where you'd have your infield there or your, uh, catcher because sometimes the catcher and i I even disagree with limiting the number of catcher pitcher interactions throughout the game because sometimes it's not it's it's not you know calming a guy down it's running out there and saying you know i forgot what sign (laughs) we're supposed to use here and we need to get on the same page before you throw a fastball what the astros do Oh God! <laughs> just yeah, just, just go ask the Astros. They'll yeah, tell you. Yeah. Oh no, you're supposed to be throwing a fastball with that one. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, yeah uh, Alex Bregman, what am I throwing here? You know, uh, but you know, I just think that uh, all jokes aside, I think it could work that in in that way as long as you add important caveats to it. And I think especially after you've utilized the mound visits, I think that would be kind of kind of fun. Uh, yeah. I don't see it happening, but kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, also, now rule number five, I have, I have five and six. Six is just add metal bats which uh not gonna happen but again just give me metal bats for a home run derby people want to see the long ball at a home run derby let's get them flying let's not get any of these 400 footers let's go for 500 feet this those would be, there would be some 600 foot home runs with a metal bat i guarantee it and you say that like it's a problem oh no that'd be a good thing i i, I think in a home run derby it'd be awesome i think it'd be something that actually might be able to happen in a home run derby and i can actually see it um especially if you took you know, safety precautions with, you know, you can only sit in, exactly. you know, or certain Or even just areas. give them, like, the last swing of the, of the game, of the, of the round. Of the round, yeah. a metal bat or something. Yeah, kind of like how you have the bonus ball, give them a metal bat. Yeah, I mean, I, especially if you put up netting all the way around so people oh, yeah. in the stands didn't get hit. I could totally see this because the guy who's going to be the throwing the BP, he'll be behind a screen. So, yeah, no, I think that, I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, and I've been hit many a time on a comeback, but, you know, I survived and it was in the middle of that. So, I mean, I think as long as you, uh, you know, handle that, you know, you know, you could be okay. Yep. All right. So then my final rule is you'll be able to decline an intentional walk. This one I really like. I really like this one. It's exactly as it sounds. Your guy comes up to the plate, and the opposing manager signals intentional walk to send him down the first. It's on the player, though. The manager can't decide this. The manager doesn't get a say. It is on the player to go, I decline the. I decline it. I want to I want to take my bat. And now the pitcher has to throw to him. Now, this, is, this adds so much strategy to this, because now if you're a pitcher and he declines the intentional walk, let's put the situation as runners on the corners with one away. Now you're throwing to him. He may not be a ground ball hitter. He may only be a fly ball hitter. So you're risking a run coming in now or multiple runs coming in. Right. You still pitch for that ground ball. You get out of the inning instead of now having bases loaded with one away. If you're the batter now, which is really where the risk reward has to come in, why it's their decision to decline him, is if they take that at bat, they're surrendering the free base run that would load the bases and have their teammate try and drive all of them in. However, they can get those runners in. So if your manager, now let's say before you go on to the on-deck circuit, go, if he gets on, they're probably going to walk you. I want you to take the at-bat. That's confidence in the player, which is good. and It's going to help him get more reps and the whole, the whole tape aspect. Yep. But more importantly, it's now going to put it on that player to drive those runs in, to get those runners home. 
and it's going to make it a lot more interesting because let's say you have a strong seven hole hitter who really good as a contact hitter you know he's not good at drawing walks and he's not particularly good power hitter but he's good at getting on base batting let's say 280 right and the guy behind him he's in He's a defense guy. You right. know, he's batting around 200. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's not getting on base too much. Maybe, to, let's say, a 240 right. on base. And, uh, yeah, he doesn't hit for power terribly well. Obviously, you want that guy. You want the guy that's probably just going to slap it at the shortstop you want the and turn first two guy. to get out of the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Defense, the first, of course, yeah. yeah. You, the first guy, you're just like, look, he's risking bringing in a run. He's probably not going to bring in multiple runs. That run on third is going to score, though. I want no part of that. Let's just put him on, go for the double play. Right. And with this, it would take that out of play, at least partially. It would put the onus on the player. And I think it would also be a very good way of kind of determining uh, some of the intangibles that exist there. That kind of player IQ to an extent. And more importantly, it tells you the kind of confidence you have in that kind of a player. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a really interesting one. Strategically, you know, if you decline an intentional walk and you hit into a double play, you're the GOAT. But if you decline an intentional walk and hit a three-run home run, you're a hero. So, I mean, I You're the other type of GOAT. Yeah, you're the other type of GOAT. So, I think that there's a a serious way in which this could actually work. Like, I, I could actually see this being added because it adds strategy. It could speed up games because you're not walking another guy. So I think that it could actually wind up being a rule that, you know, down the line, I could like if, if they announced this, if the Atlantic League announced this as one of their trial rules, I would not be surprised in the least. Yep. I'm not sure I'd be that upset. I, I wouldn't I'd- be upset either. I'd be like, well, you know, let's see how it works. Yeah. All right, so that's all my rules. And I did ask for fan suggestions for possible rules or, oh, here we or go. changes to rules. We only had one, but I do appreciate the one we did get. It is from Chris Austin on Twitter. Big fan of the show. Always interacting. Good guy. Great guy. He suggested that all PEDs will be allowed to play, providing that they're federally legal. Well, uh, of course, state, <laughs> state le- we got to add in state legality. Well, no, well. they're legal on a federal level. Let them play. Oh, really? Yeah. So if they're legal on a federal level, presumably they'd be legal on a state level. Oh, right. Well, federal would supersede, run it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I guess in, not in certain situations. Um, but <laughs> anyway, for the sake of argument, for the we'll sake say of argument, it, sure, yeah, it's fine. Um, I'll say the, the lawyers are able to work their magic and get these and allow people to uh, do all sorts of things to themselves. So obviously, this one's uh, probably <laughs> risky for the health of players. Obviously, this yeah, <laughs> and really problematic in those ways. But but what I will from say from an entertainment standpoint, oh, it's a wonderful idea. That would be great. Obviously, it's problematic in those ways. But gosh, it would be fun to see a guy. You know, could you imagine? Uh, you brought it up before. Yeah. Telvin Nash, he had forty-one this year. Clean with homers, a wooden bat. Clean with a wooden bat. Could you imagine him hitting? You know, with a metal bat combining your two rules a metal bat and on peds <laughs> oh, some boy. anabolic steroids and some hdh obviously we're not saying that he's he should do this nor has he ever done this but let's make it very clear we do not recommend doing any sort of ped or any sort of drug without consulting your doctor and making sure it's first off legal on a law base and then also allowable in play right of course. we don't want to be responsible for when you do something stupid but but we would say that this would be quite fun oh it would be entertaining as hell just don't do it <laughs> let's make it very clear i want to make it explicitly clear do not do peds please they're going to destroy your body and your organs do and not do it your career Yep, and your career, and you won't go to the Hall of Fame either. That's a, not going to be allowed. Yep. Also, you know, it's just it's not a good thing to be doing. But would be entertaining. It would be entertaining, but again, <laughs> again, we are not saying this is something to do. Please do not do this. Do not do any of that. So that's all we got for our rules. Now I'm going to ask you, fine folk on Twitter and on Instagram, whose set of rules do you like better? Do our polls that we're going to put up. Vote James. Don't do that. <laughs> what the other guy? I also just want to throw here uh, for the expansion process relating back to our first story we covered in uh, the Mobile, Alabama story. If you are interested in how the whole process of expanding into the Atlantic Lake would work, I would refer you to episode 24B and episode 25 as well as episode 32. Those are all the Gaston episodes, and I'm pretty sure in one of them we do go through the in-depth process of how any sort of a pitch or anything like that would work. Also, if you're interested in more information on Shaq B, episode 36 has a segment on it. And I went through all the things for Ottawa. Uh, I'm not going to run through them again. You already heard them once. Uh, Yeah. So I think that's all we have here with the exception of one thing. And I wanted to bring this up because this is a really nice email we got. 
and I really appreciate it, and it did mean a whole lot. Um, I'm not going to go for the name or go for the specifics because I didn't ask if uh, they'd be comfortable with that, but uh, you know who you are, you're listening. We really did appreciate that, Reddit, and it's the kind of thing that uh, whenever you're starting to doubt the work that we do, I mean, putting a lot of hours into editing it, to researching the show, to recording the show, promoting it, doing all the work for it, and sometimes you go, uh, yeah, who's really listening? You look at the numbers for that week, it's a bit lower than it should be, and it's a bit disappointing, or you listen to the outcome of the show, and you're like, ah, I could have done it better, or things like that, and then when you see an email like that saying that, you know, we're giving you the information on how to get back into baseball, how to try and make a professional career, how to try and make that kind of childhood dream work. It means an awful lot. It means that what we're doing here means something to some people and that there is an impact with it and that uh, it's more than just a show. Undoubtedly. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, take this this time to really just say, uh, you know, thank you to all of our, uh, you know, service men and women that listen. Uh, I think that it would be a very good thing. Um, you know, obviously, anytime we have our service people uh, reach out, it would be fantastic. And so uh, we're, it's, you know, so glad to hear the story that we did in the email. And again, we won't disclose any personal information or anything like that. Uh, we haven't asked. Um, no. But to hear a story like that and to hear what this person has been through and has gone through and is continuing to fight for baseball uh, for their career that is really something that is inspiring and, and I hope as, as we move forward uh, we wish them the, the best of luck yep best of luck to him and thank you not only to to just some of our listeners but to everyone for listening we do appreciate it we appreciate all the interaction you have whether it be on emails on Twitter on Instagram on any form or just simply listening every week it does mean a lot to us when we see it and uh, the way it's grown since February all the way through, through ups and downs, through poor audio quality and now good <laughs> audio quality, uh, through some of the filler topics to the actual baseball talk to, for everything. Thanks to everyone for doing that. Uh, but yeah, no, we appreciate all the support and everything. But Absolutely. Appreciate everybody's support and uh, look forward to continuing to produce great content for you. Exactly. I uh, just wanted to mention that email this week because it was really a touching email. I really did... Uh, take away a lot from it it was it was very impactful uh for both of us i think in in the way that we viewed this i mean yeah. we viewed this as something fun that we've done and something that we are trying to build um yeah. and now we can really get to see the impact of what we've built here and we really appreciate that yep all right so i think with that we can kind of close out the show now uh you can go ahead and find us on Twitter, Indie Ball Pod, on Instagram, Indie Ball Report, on the website, IndieBallReport.com. You can find all our content, including show notes, articles, episodes of the show, YouTube videos, the whole nine. Um, you can find all that on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, we're on basically every major podcatcher now, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, finally, Podomatic, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, everything. We are on that Basically, wherever you can find a podcast, we're almost certainly there. So be sure to like, rate, review on whichever platform you prefer. Uh, listen to the show every week. We do appreciate it. But uh, there is all that. A uh, reminder for everybody, the Q&A episode is next week. It will be released on December 7th. It will be recorded on December 6th that afternoon. So by noon of December 6th, we need all your questions in. At this point, if it's a question that requires some deep research... I can't make any promises if we'll be able to get to it just because it's going to take a lot of work to get to that already. Uh, looking at probably Monday, I'm going to start doing all the deep dive research on the topics I haven't already started on. And uh, we have about 15 questions, 16 questions right now. I'd like to see us get to, say, 25 questions. I think that'd be very good. I'll put out some reminders on social media gradually throughout the week. But for those that aren't on the social media and just listen to the show, if you uh, want to ask a question, simply email us at IndieBallReport at gmail.com. You can contact us right there with your questions. We've had a handful of questions like that. You could DM us questions. I'll probably put up a general post where you can go and ask these questions again at some point during the week. Uh, so just a reminder, Q&A episode, your deadline for your questions is December 6th at noon. That is the absolute positively latest point. For those questions yep the latest point for those questions make sure you get them in it'll be a great show i'm literally looking forward to doing that obviously it's going to be a lot of fun for us uh to interact with you all and get give you the information that you all really want to hear uh, and kind of the last thing for me is make sure to follow pinch the blue crab on instagram all right and so i guess with that we have nothing else left to add so as we end every show 
let me give you the Florence y'alls. Y'alls, don't forget to play ball. <laughs> <laughs>